0: Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the 107th edition of the Digital Edge, Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim
2: Callaway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is trust accounting for lawyers.
1: Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to CloudMask, which offers cost-effective and efficient data encryption for law firms, whether large or small, in Google Apps, Office 365, and other cloud solutions. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at www.cloudmask.com. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more.
2: We are very pleased to have as our guest Sheila Blackford, a dear friend who is an attorney and practice management advisor for the Oregon State Bar Professional Liability Fund. She enjoys helping lawyers understand how to properly set up and manage their client trust accounts. And she is frequently called upon to help lawyers undergoing discipline for mishandling client trust accounts. Her experience over the past 11 years inspired her to write the book, Trust Accounting for Lawyers in One Hour, which is being produced now by the ABA Law Practice Division and should be available soon. Thanks for joining us today, Sheila.
3: Thank you for having me, Jim and Sharon. It is a pleasure to be here with you today, and I'm ready to go whenever you are.
1: (laughs) Okay, Sheila. I know you wanted me to stress at the outset that states and law societies have different specific rules, and while you're going to talk about good general principles that apply broadly, as always, lawyers should carefully check the rules and regulations of their specific regulatory authorities. Now, let us begin. Since lawyers are supposed to place client funds into a federally insured bank account, should they worry about what to do with money belonging to a client that is over this deposit insurance amount?
3: That's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked that. I'm speaking about lawyers that are in the United States, lawyers that are in Canada that are tuning in today should abide by what their own depository institution rules are in Canada because they have their own rules. But here in the United States, we have deposits that are insured by the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Coverage. And lawyer trust accounts are in the category that's known as a fiduciary um, account or agency account. And so those are passed through deposits. But certainly, you could have a client with a lot of money in, let's say, uh, Bank of America, and that happens to be where you keep your lawyer trust account. Because you've got maybe $20,000 of that new client in your trust account, that client may end up being over the amount that they already have in Bank of America. And so that's going to present a problem because although we trust our bank, we have to be careful if it went under, the insurance would only cover $250,000 for that bank, for that named party. Okay. And so that's going to be a problem that you're going to want to discuss with the client you should be able to um, have a conversation quite frankly with your client about how much money they may already have where you do your trust account business because you may need to open a trust account in another bank to help this particular client out.
2: Sheila, can lawyers keep a cushion of their own funds in the client trust account as added protection against any unintended overdrafts?
3: Well, that seems on its face to be a good idea, but it is a very wrong idea because just even looking at what the ABA model rules of professional conduct call for in 1.15 subpoint B, it says a lawyer may deposit the lawyer's own funds in a client trust account for the sole purpose of paying bank service charges on the account, but only in an amount necessary for that purpose. Now, that's the ABA's model rules, and, of course, each state may have its own variation. For example, here in Oregon, we allow them to also keep the lawyers' own funds for paying a minimum balance requirement let's say the balance was supposed to be 100 then we say go ahead and keep $100 of your own money in there so you don't draw it down to zero So you have to be very careful, and and you need to check in with your own jurisdiction. But basically, rule of thumb is it's really strict about what you are allowed to keep in there. And I don't believe anyone would allow lawyers to keep a a cushion in there to protect themselves against their own bad bookkeeping practices. (laughs)
1: Well, Sheila, I I have a question to ask you, but I have a story that I will answer the question with before you answer the question. You had had mentioned that I should ask you if there's any way to prevent problems from having a client's check deposited into a lawyer's trust account bounce. I had that happen many years ago, and I had a personal friendship with the bank's branch manager, and so she took that bounce check and she put it in her drawer and forgot about it for 48 huh. hours so that I could reach my client, who you have no idea how furious I was because I was supposed to be dispersing checks from the money, and you know I raised a sufficient amount of, of noise that the client decided that they'd better get the funds wired directly into the bank account which they did and the Virginia State Bar disciplinary folks were never notified until now um <laughs> but but what what <laughs> is there any way to prevent those problems short of having the branch manager be your friend
3: <laughs> oh boy we get that too and years ago in Oregon the early practice management advisors we're talking hmm, 20 years or more they spoke with someone from Discipline, Jeff Sapiro, and said, Well, what should we do? And Jeff, in his wisdom, said, How about adopting a three, five, 10 day rule? And it makes sense, so I'll share it with the listeners. Think about allowing three banking days for a local check to clear and be in your account, five days for a check drawn on a state bank account so somewhere else in your state and 3, five, fifteen, fifteen is for a check drawn on a bank that is out of state. Now you know we are so used to just looking and seeing with the ATM that funds are available certainly you're not going to be doing that with your trust account but knowing that your funds are available yes it's my funds that are in your trust account that are available so, until that money has actually been collected and in your trust account, it's almost like vapor money. It's really not there. And if it gets dishonored for some reason, then you're going to be using your other client's funds. So, you want to be careful, and your best bet is to allow sufficient time and even maybe check with your branch manager about when funds have been actually collected by the issuing bank. Or as Sharon pointed out, you could handle it maybe better in this instance of having a wire transfer so that the money is actually there and you know it's there before you start drawing on it.
2: Okay, that's an interesting scenario. How about this one? If a lawyer is a sole proprietor and have their business checking account, trust account, and personal account all at the same bank, Why can't they just write a trust account check for their earned fees and deposit it directly into their personal account?
3: That's a really good question, Jim, and I get asked that a lot by sole practitioners that think that that's a way to save money on um, the hassle of writing so many checks. You can't do it, and please don't do it. The IRS wants to be sure that you actually are conducting a business and what says it's a business is the fact that the money is going through a actual business account. When you start taking funds from the trust account, they have to be for the intended purpose, which is to pay the legal fees. And so that money needs to go into your general business account, even though it seems ridiculous. We've even had a couple of lawyers here in Oregon try to save their checks and pay their PLF assessment with a trust account check because they already earned that money and it's like a nope you can't do that so that's a very good question and listeners don't do that you want to have a very exacting trail from the trust account to your general business operating account to your personal account
1: Good advice as always, Sheila. I'll tell you, lawyers hear people calling this account that we've been talking about, a client trust account, a lawyer trust account, and an IOLTA trust account. Are they different kinds of accounts, or are they all the same thing?
3: They're pretty much the same thing. I went to law school in California, and they called them client trust account. So of course, I opened the client trust account when I opened my law practice and had to promptly change that over to be a lawyer trust account because that's the way they want it called in Oregon. So call it whichever way your bar wants it called, but they are essentially the same thing. It's money that you're holding on behalf of your client. Now, IOLTA I, account is just a shade different from that. It stands for Interest on Lawyer Trust Account. And it's been around for quite some time, and it's wonderful. It's a way that the interest that normally wouldn't be paid to anyone because it's so minuscule could be pulled together and provided to each state's nonprofit law foundation because everyone now does IOLTA accounts so that it funds legal aid and access to justice rather than that money just being so minuscule that no one gets the benefit of it. So that IOLTA account is specifically for the aggregate of client trust money where it's so small or for such short duration that there's no way that the client really could earn net interest. So you're not taking anything from the client And giving it to the bar, it's just merely that this money needs to get pulled into a larger scheme of things in order for it to amount to anything to um, help access to justice. Because we all know that even our state's legal aid services just cannot address the needs of people who otherwise would not have access. So that's what that IOLTA is for.
2: So what does a lawyer do if their client overpays a billing statement?
3: That's a big problem. Sometimes clients just really aren't looking at their bill and they just round everything up and they send the check in. And that presents a problem because if you have billed for $1,500 and you are owing that amount, you are entitled to take... at that point from your client because you've earned it. But if the client now sends you $2,000, they've overpaid you $500. And so any money that you haven't earned yet belongs in your lawyer trust account. And so clients need to be notified, and what you do is you deposit. I know it drives lawyers nuts. You deposit that $2,000 check in the trust account, let it clear, and then take the $1,500. Because if you jumped ahead and put that $2,000 check in the trust account and then immediately turned around and paid yourself $1,500, what if that check would have bounced? Then you've taken fifteen hundred dollars from another client. So that's frustrating. What some people have done is called their client and notify them and try to you know immediately get something. But it's about safekeeping. So you can imagine, you know what is it a nanosecond that you're holding a two thousand dollars check? Are they close enough that they could actually walk down the hall? Maybe they're a CPA's office down the hall? And replenish, you know, give you a different check, but you need to safeguard property. And the way lawyers are directed to safeguard financial property is to properly deposit it into a lawyer or client trust account, their IOLTA account.
2: As I listen to your answer, Sheila, I am envisioning a lawyer testifying before a bar disciplinary hearing that they just thought it was a gratuity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thought it was a gratuity i like that jim
3: but jim i don't think those would be people in oklahoma doing that
1: merely a hypothetical uh
3: joke or oregon oregon yeah we've got we've got we've got smarter lawyers than that
2: before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick commercial break In recent years, the legal sector has come under increasing pressure to improve efficiency and client services. CloudMask enables law firms and solo attorneys to leverage free and low-cost software as a service, such as Google Apps and Office 365, to improve efficiency in client service while reducing costs, strengthening compliance with data privacy laws, and ensuring that ethical duties are met. Cloud Mask encryption is even certified by 26 governments around the world. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and the rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. Not getting enough cases from the internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is trust accounting for lawyers, and our guest is Sheila Blackford, a good friend, an attorney, and practice management advisor for the Oregon State Bar Professional Liability Fund. Sheila, we often hear from lawyers that they were told to do a three-way reconciliation of their trust account, and they seem completely clueless about what that means. Can you tell them what it does mean?
3: Yes. It's nothing to get alarmed about. You're going to get a bank statement from the bank holding your trust account. What you're doing is you want that bank statement to be reconciled with your trust account journal, which is an accounting way of referring to what we normal people call our checkbook register. So the balance in your checkbook register – must equal what the adjusted balance is on your bank statement. And we have the further issue. We're not just looking at this account. Bank of America thinks you have one trust account. But in reality, you may have 15 because you have each client sub-account that you're keeping track of. So that's the third reconciliation. You need to be keeping track of each individual Sub account in your trust account that is tracking how much money you're holding for your client Jim Callaway, how much you're holding for your client Sharon Nelson, etc. etc. You look at those amounts and that's going to be pulling the records so that they add up. So the adding up of those sub accounts, looking at your journal or your checkbook register and comparing that to your adjusted bank statement. And what I mean by adjusted bank statement is we hope everyone does their normal balancing the checkbook and balancing their statement by looking to see what the bank says you have versus what you have in terms of outstanding checks that the bank hasn't cleared yet and outstanding deposits that the bank hasn't registered yet. So you subtract those checks and you add in those deposits to come with an adjusted amount. That adjusted amount should be what your own record says you've got, and it should equal your adjusted trust account, individual subaccounts, what in the old days they used to call them client ledgers. And I want to just add in here a caution. We talked earlier about keeping some of your own lawyer law firm money in there for paying bank fees. Don't forget that money or you're going to be scratching your head and getting frustrated that you're off by $20 or $40. So make sure that you add in that amount of money that is your money or else it's not going to equal what your different sub accounts are.
2: Okay. Well, If a client is not happy with the amount of legal fees charged to his trust account funds, what does the lawyer do?
3: That's a good question. Hopefully you don't have that problem, but you may. And whenever there is, it's actually Rule 1.15 subpart E, when in the course of representation, a lawyer is in possession of property in which two or more persons, one of whom may be the lawyer, claim interest, the property shall be kept separate by the lawyer until the dispute is resolved. The lawyer shall promptly distribute all portions of the property as to which the interests are not in dispute. So again, let's say we've got the client who was billed $1,500. The lawyer feels that's a fair amount, but the client looks at that bill and falls off his or her chair and thinks, my God, that's charging me way too much money. And so they call and complain to the lawyer and say, I don't think it should be 1500 I don't think it should be more than $1,000. So what that means is that the lawyer should put the money back into the trust account so that only 1000 goes for payment, because that's the amount that's in, not in dispute, and the rule says to distribute it. If the lawyer didn't distribute, the problem would be the lawyer would be commingling by leaving that $1,000 that's not in dispute in the trust account. Okay? So the $500 that the client says, I think that's unfair, that amount needs to be held in the trust account. Now, what should the lawyer then do? Well, if they can't resolve it, most of the bar associations have – fee mediation or fee arbitration programs where that can be resolved. And that's been really a positive thing that has been going on here in Oregon. And I know firsthand that it's been very, very helpful as a way to kind of like move beyond the disagreement. So that $500 until it's resolved belongs in the trust account.
1: Sheila, what are the complete records lawyers are supposed to keep in connection with their trust accounts?
3: That's a very good question. A lawyer should maintain on a current basis, of course, the books and records in accordance with generally accepted accounting practices and comply with any record-keeping rules that are established by law or court order. The wonderful thing about comment one to rule 1.15 is it mentions the model rules for client trust account records. And when you look that up, it's wonderful, and I encourage our lawyers, print it out, because it walks you through what should you really be keeping. For example, keeping the receipt and disbursements journal That would be important, and not only just keeping it, but that it's got the right kind of information on it, that it contains a record of deposits to and withdrawals from the client trust account, identifying the date, the source, and the description of each item deposited, as well as the date, payee, and purpose of each disbursement. A lot of times lawyers are so busy, it's difficult to practice law and to then handle the business. But you have to do it, and don't rely on your brain because not very long <laughs> you will be finding out that you've forgotten all those little details. So if you've made a, a proper record of it, it'll help you in the long run. The next thing that that model rule for client trust account records says, keep your ledger records. Now, I mentioned that in the old days, they actually kept buff cardboard that was called the client ledger card and they wrote it all down. These days, we're going to hopefully be using some type of software program where you're just going to pull an actual report of that sub-account. But nonetheless, each of them should show who the money belongs to, what the source of it that's been deposited, the names of all persons for whom the funds are for or to be held, the amount of it, description and amount of charges and withdrawals and the names of all persons or entities to whom you are dispersing those funds so it's like you're acting like the banker for each of the client for whom you're doing trust accounting. The next thing you should do, and a lot of lawyers forget this, is keep a copy of your retainer and any compensation agreement you have with your clients. That's going to be important. And next would be copies of accountings to client or third person showing the disbursement of funds to them or on their behalf. You never want it to happen where the poor client says, well... I gave Sheila $5,000 back in August, and she says she doesn't have any more money in the trust account, and I've never been told what she spent the money on. That's not good. So you want to keep that you are doing important accountings. I, I personally think that it should be monthly, but keep a copy of those accountings to the client showing what you've done with the money. Next would be copies of the bills for legal fees and expenses, that are rendered to your clients. And I always made a copy of the underlying bill. So for example, if it was for process service, I actually gave the client a copy of the bill that I had to pay the process server. Next, copies of any records showing disbursements you're making on behalf of clients. And then you want to keep um, physical or electronic equivalent of all your checkbook registers, your bank statements, your records of deposit, any of those pre-numbered canceled checks and the substitute checks that your financial institution might be providing. Sharon had mentioned wire transfers. Make sure you keep a record of all those electronic transfers from the client trust account, including the name of the person that authorized that transfer in the first place, the date of the transfer, the name of the recipient, and confirmation from the financial institution of the trust account number from which money was withdrawn and the date and time that transfer was completed. And the list goes on for one more, two more items. Save copies of your monthly trial balances. Now that's an accounting term, but it just means that you should be during the month running what's going on to see How much money is really in your trust account? People do that at month end. And then quarterly reconciliations of the client trust accounts maintained by the lawyer. And lastly, copies of those portion of the client files that are reasonably related to any of the client trust account transactions. So it's very extensive. It's a model rule. But if you have questions, it's a good idea to review it because it'll give you an idea of what kind of rules do you want to be preserving?
2: Well, Sheila, back in the day, banks used to send you paper statements and all of your canceled checks in an envelope. Today, the uh, canceled checks went out long ago, but more and more banks are not even sending out paper statements can a lawyer rely on electronic trust account records they can look up online? And is there anything they should do to protect themselves about those
3: records? That's a good question, Jim. And something that lawyers do in error is they're under the kind of false reassurement, I don't need to worry about this because my bank keeps a copy of those records. Well, if you check with your bank, likely those records are only available to you for two years, maybe four at the most. But most of your ethics rules are going to follow the model rule, which calls for keeping those records for five years from the date the matter's closed. So right then and there, you have to be careful to maybe do a print to PDF and keep that electronic statement. One thing, Jim, I want to interject at this point because I don't want listeners thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I need to get a a green eye shade and uh, (laughs) go back to the old days of being the banker and accountant keeping track of all this. Technology is wonderful, and I want to encourage the listeners to look into having the right kind of technology that will allow them to manage their trust accounting responsibilities in a an error-free environment. I can't tell you how many times I personally will make a computation error. It's just easy to do. But if you're using software, it eliminates that human error because it's the computer computing it. So I want to encourage you to look at technology, whether it's a – case management program that has a trust accounting provision in it, and you can find a list of those types of software programs at the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center, and I understand we'll be able to provide a link to that so that you can access that chart that I'm referring to for practice management software comparison. And that'll be a big help. But there's certainly many different types of programs that are out there. And possibly you've already heard of some of them that people are really liking to use for managing their client trust account records with technology other than pencil and paper. So
1: Sheila, if a lawyer finds that their trust account has had an outstanding check for several years,
3: what the heck do they do about it? That's a good question. And unfortunately, that happens. You need to, first of all, check with your state bar association to get the right direction, because states treat this money differently. It may be that unclaimed property laws will then take effect. Now what's happening in my own state here in Oregon is that if funds have been left in the trust account and basically abandoned, you can't find the client, you need to file a report with the Division of State Lands and the money is turned over to the Oregon Law Foundation, that's the nonprofit foundation that manages the IOLTA program. So be careful and take a look at that, and I especially caution lawyers that are listening in from Canada to definitely check in how to handle it. But even here in the states, the various states have their own way of of what's proper to do in the event that that money's been abandoned.
1: Well, we want to thank you so much, Sheila, today. We're thrilled that you were able to be here with us. I wish your book was out, but, you know, I'm sure that people will be able to find it easily on the ABA web store in several months, and I know it will be wonderful. And I've got to tell you, this is some of the most practical advice we've ever had on a podcast. These are exactly the kinds of questions that we hear lawyers ask all the time, and we've never had a podcast that gave such, you know, step-by-step practical answers to the questions they have so Thanks so much, Buddy, for spending your time with us today. It was great.
3: It was a delight. Thank you for asking me. It's a real honor to be participating in your podcast. Thank you very much.
1: And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks
2: for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon.
1: Happy trails, cowboy.
0: Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge.